Welcome back to the next part of this Truth and Rhythm episode. Be sure to subscribe to this channel. If you've already done so, please share it with friends. Also become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you so much for your interest and support. Enjoy. Hey, before we get started with today's show, I just want to draw your attention to new merchandise. Funkin' Stuff and Truth and Rhythm designs are in, and they look pretty darn cool. So show your support, help support the program, and show off some stylish merchandise and apparel. Only at the Funkin' Stuff store. Everybody that's been on, it's been in the Prince camp, I've asked, um, you know, this question, that is, what would you say is the most impressive thing you ever saw him do musically? Just be a machine. He would be maybe not up to snuff. He'd be maybe not feeling so great or, you know, he might have, you know, at one point, I think we, something happened. We, we had a plexiglass stage and he took a fall or, he would just, just relent, just keep going, just chug along, you know, just like, I mean, I, I, I looked at that Super Bowl footage. I wasn't part of the band then and it's raining and I'm sure he's getting shocked every time he puts his mouth to the mic and he's got the guitar in his hand. He's just not going to stop. It's like the world could come to an end, but he's going to get that music out there. You know what I mean? He just... He was harder on himself, I think, than he was on anybody. So I didn't take him being a perfectionist when it came to the band personally at all because he held himself to a higher standard. So I didn't expect him to hold us who were his support to a lesser standard. You know what I mean? So I've got a, you know, I have a disciplinarian for a dad. So none of it really surprised or took me out of pocket, you know. Yeah, I'm sure that helped, you know, in that kind of environment. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and so you were also involved in the uh, New Power Soul project, right? Evidently. But like I said, at the time, we were just recording. We didn't know what it was going to be. <laughs> yeah. It I, was just, you know, he'd have an idea. We'd go in and we just, or he would work on something and go, hey, I need you after this rehearsal to do something on this what was it like getting to meet people and perform with people like shaka and larry graham and oh just absolutely fabulous i mean the people 
that were around them who gravitated to him, who he loved, were just lovely. And they were always lovely to us. You know, we, 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 we did a, a thing, um, uh, it was in San Diego, but it was in, in uh, San Francisco and Carlos sat in and Carlos came in and meditated with us. And, you know, he came in and sat in at the end and we had prepared this, you know, Santana medley you know, and it had punches and everything, you know, and he and Prince were up front doing that thing back and forth, back and forth. And Carlos looked back and said, come join us, come play with us. I'm like, man, I'm staying back in, playing my part. Don't get me in trouble. <laughs> he was he was so generous, you know what I mean? He was so lovely. And, you know, uh, D'Angelo came through and, you know, he's a Virginia guy. And, you know, he was like, just everybody that came through was just awesome. And the energy was great. And I remember one night um, we had played somewhere and I think uh, Patti LaBelle had played or something like that. And uh, and Cindy came to see us and it was me, Cindy, Patti LaBelle and Prince. And I was like, he's like, come go with me and let's you know, be my comic relief. Because Cindy and Patti are great friends. And it was like watching a nephew in a room with his aunties, you know what I mean? And I'm just sitting back, I'm the cousin. <laughs> So, you know, and they were, you know, I think he, he had such a respect for them, you know. And, you know, it was always good vibes. You know, it was never any weird vibes, no, you know, always just love, you know, whenever he would show up, whenever we do these after parties, whenever we play, it's just love, you know. And I think that remains, which is good. I, I've, I was, fortunate enough to get to see him many, many times perform. And one of the biggest thrills for me as a fan was just the times when somebody like a Stevie Wonder, you know, would join him or something like that. And to see Prince become the little boy fan. Exactly. You know, and just looking at his idol. And that was just so cool. Yeah. Uh, we played in Detroit and uh, after the show, we went to this bar restaurant and there was a band playing and eventually, eventually he kicked him off stage <laughs> and he was on drums. I was on guitar. Tony Rich was on keyboard. Stevie came up and sat in. Larry Graham was playing bass and it was just jam. It was just a jam, you know, it just kind of happened. You know, nights like that just kind of happened. Did you ever sort of have to pinch yourself when you were, you know, on some of those really big shows um, thinking, wow, you know, I never, imagined I would be in front of this many people performing like oh, this. My, 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 my whole life is a pinch moment from a little girl that just wanted to play guitar to remember her mom to doing this. Come on. That's, that's a, a small question with a big answer. <laughs> my whole life is that. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so you uh, were with the MPG until what year? Um, up until right before I moved back to LA, so like 97, 98, but then he would call and I would go in and out and he was always changing, you know, and then I started doing TV shows and he saw me there and he's like, I don't want to come up to Pace for this weekend, you know, one minute he had a trio, then he wanted to try something with me, Sheila Ronda and Cassandra, so, you know, being a full member of the band stopped at a certain time, but then we, we put together a band that it was a conglomerate and we did the NAACP awards. And that was just such a great project for everybody. And 
It was some of Sheila's band, some of his band. We put one big band together along with Frank McComb and, you know, a great group of singers. And, you know, for me, that was that was the last time I worked with him in a band setting, 2005. But, so you know, he would come to L.A. and I'd be doing a gig and he would find me and come to my gig and say, <laughs> he's like, okay, I'll sit in and I'll play your guitar, but give me those glasses. You know, it's... <laughs> He would just find me in a club, <laughs> you know, just show up. What about a uh, visual aspect? Did he dictate, you know, what look he wanted for the MPG when you were part of that? Absolutely. 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 I mean, within our, within, within our sense and sensibilities, but he would go something all white, you know, this is going to be like a military thing. So I need boots. I need this. And, you know, and he had, you know, wardrobe people and all these kinds of folks that would come up and they would draw sketches and he would go up with them and she should be in this and it should be flowing and you know and they would go out and find stuff and it would fit and look good and be comfortable so he was uh so big picture and so detail oriented it seemed i mean it's yeah. incredible just aware of every aspect of Absolutely. the uh you know performance Absolutely. But he's, uh, he's always been like that. He's always been, you know, absolutely a 360, what I call a 360 artist, you know, who had the vision of not only the music and the storytelling, but the visuals around it and every little thing being in place, you know, not a lot of people have that. Well, for me personally, nobody has it quite like he had it, um, some come close, but he was something, one of a kind. Um, what could you point to maybe as um, something that you learned and took away from that experience moving forward? Um, to keep the glass empty, you know? I mean, I came in there with a certain amount of knowledge and, and everything. and. He would always ask me, who are you listening to this week? What guitar players do you like? You know, who do you listen to? Who influenced you, you know? And I would, you know, say some names. And then a couple of weeks, he would come back to me. You know, I forgot that we had the conversation. It's like, oh, I listen to John Schofield. Well, I like what you do better. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, what does John Schofield do? <laughs> you know what I mean? So he would, he was always, you know, seeking knowledge, learning, you know, at any point in time, there'd be just hours and hours of James Brown's videotapes playing and he would just be standing there just studying, them, you know, or there would be music playing that he would, guitar stuff that he'd just be listening to, you know? So he was always in study mode. And when he would ask, we would go to the NAMM show, okay? Go to the NAMM show and see what's good and tell me, come back, bring me a report, what's new? What's, 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 <laughs> Because he knew that he couldn't really go because it would be bedlam, but he always wanted to know, okay, what's the new gadgets? What what are they coming up with? What, you know, what should I, you know, what kind of pedal is that? Where'd you get that? How how can I make it sound like this? You know? So he was always curious about everything. What what are a couple of qualities that you think make him an exceptional guitar player specifically? Uh, I think that um his love of all kinds of music. Yeah, I, I think he opened himself up and didn't let himself get 
boxed and put into a style because of the way he looked or because of the way society supposedly would perceive him. I think he just mm -hmm. said, that's a car, it's fast, and it should be a rock and roll song. Not like, you can't do rock and roll because you're not slinging slinger. You know what I mean? I, I don't think. I don't think he let that stop him and the industry will handcuff you. And I think because he stepped in with his, you know, self-titled albums that he just created on his own without anybody telling him anything. He just had that independence, you know, he was never groomed to do this like this, like this, like that. He came in with himself, you know, pretty much semi-baked, you know what I mean? and just expanded it from there with band members but you know he had it all inside himself you know so uh, i i think that you know his his greatest strength is that he wasn't spoiled by the industry as he was developing and then when he came in they just built around him and his ideas and his creativity instead of the other way around you know <clears throat> where the industry will make you think we made you we made you a star we did this for you we, <laughs> he he came and he, he already knew who he was yeah and from where i said i mean he was so good at both lead and rhythm you know on the, on the guitar oh, absolutely absolutely was there a particular style that you felt most comfortable in um whether it be funk or more pop or rock or ballads or? Well, because I grew up first learning how to play guitar by ear and listening to the radio is when I was a kid, I didn't really stop to think about whatever style I was like, I like that. I don't like this, but I like that. And I like this song and I like that song. And I wasn't really thinking about that. And I think that's what we shared because, you know, Every now and then he would refer to something and I would know the song or he would refer to a style and he was like, oh, you listen to that? And I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> you know, so I think that we both had a, an appetite for music that just would resonate, you know, resonated with us. And, uh, you know, and we got into talking about, you know, how the Brazilians perceive rhythm and how African guitar players perceive rhythm and you know, how the Haitians are different. From the Jamaicans and how they perceive rhythm as far as guitar goes we have been big discussions about things like that so you know and guitar is as personal as your fingerprint it's going to be you you know so yeah so after you went out uh from from on from paisley park and prince and what were some of the uh you did a lot of tv um i know and uh, what were a couple of the other uh, top highlights for you that you could share with us musically uh, uh once once arriving to la you mean yeah um uh, you know it was always great playing with sheila because like i said this path started with sheila so when i got a call and she was um to be the first female md for a tv late night tv show for magic johnson i'm like sure you know i'm in and we did it and it was fun. It was funky. And, you know, we had fun every night. I mean, you know, we treated it like a mini concert and magic was like the absolute best boss ever, you know, because 
he was just his authentic self and he wasn't trying to be, hi, I'm trying to be that guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? And a lot of the critics dogged him for that. But a lot of the guests came because he was being himself, because he was being that. He was being himself. He was, you know, he might not have had the announcer's voice or the this or the that, but he was so lovable, you know, and, 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 and so, um, how can I put it? You, you, they tried to script him. They tried to, you know, he, he was just a natural. He was just a natural. And, and, you know, even when I'd see him at the games, he'd be like, oh, why are you sitting there? Come sit here. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just, he's just super cool. Um, and then after that, to work with Wayne Brady, who is just talented in so many ways as far as his improv, he's a singer. Anything that comes off of his head, he could write a song about it and then it's comedy and be funny. And on that half an hour show that I did, which was, um, uh, that was MD'd by Shield's brother, Peter Escovito, Pete Escovito Jr. And, uh, and uh, Luther Vandross came on there and did sketch comedy. You know, I mean, you will never see that again in your life. And Luther was funny. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like when Prince was on the Muppets, yeah. Oh, you know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> so I mean, there's there's so many. I mean, I got a chance to, get to you know, to, to play with Ziggy Marley. I mean, I got a chance to go in studio when they were doing the soundtrack to Alfie and, and work with with uh, with Dave from the Eurythmics and, and Mick Jagger was there. He and Dave were writing together and we started working on this thing and then the computer crashed and everything went down and we just picked up the guitars and started jamming. You know what I mean? You, you, these are things people don't see, but you ask me. So, you know, there's always half of the good stuff is like not seen, but it's here, you know, and that's, that's the great part. I got a chance to, to work with Natalie Cole before she passed, you know what I mean? And she was just awesome. Her catalog was so much fun to play because then I actually got to play the songs that my dad lived well. My dad and my mom agreed on Natalie. I mean, Nat King Cole, he didn't like Johnny Mathis. My mom liked Johnny Mathis. My, my dad didn't like him. My dad was a Miles Davis bop guy, but they agreed on Nat King Cole. And to get a chance to work with Natalie, not only on her new stuff, but you know some of the duets that they, they spliced in that she did with her dad to be able to play on some of that stuff. We, we did a a jazz festival in Arizona, outdoors. And in the wings, I could see a tall guy, a lot of hair, so I thought it was a rock guy. It was a silhouette of somebody watching me from the side. And I'm like, okay, they're watching the show, they're watching Natalie. And we come off of the set after, and it's Alice Cooper. And he's like, you made that look easy. I'm like, Alice Cooper? At a Natalie Cole, what? <laughs> and we started talking about golf. <laughs> we had a forty-five minute talk about golf. It was fantastic. But you know, for him to even be there, you know, was like, wow. You gotta love it. You know, you gotta love the Give little. Me about year that was, Kat. I I I would have to look back. I do not. I do not recall. I do not. Or how long it was after Natalie had had success doing the Nat King Cole stuff that you worked with? Her? Um, I want to say 
don't know. Because I, I would have to look at the timeline as to, you know, when she passed and go backwards. So I, I don't want to misquote. But um, she had just put out, a, a, her whenever her last R&B record was out, it was around that time. Okay. I'm just curious because I had just had uh, Andre Fisher on the show and he helped put together. Oh yeah, um, I got I got the chance to jam with Andre too. <laughs> no. Yeah, we got a chance to play some 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 Rufus stuff. Yeah, yeah, I know Andre. Nice, love the Rufus material. Oh my gosh, man, Tony made oh, that's the dude. Yeah, um, trying to coax him to come on the show. He said he would. I wanted to ask you specifically, Kat, about a couple of the other people that were mentioned on the intro. Um, you know, how did you get a chance to work with Jeff Healy, for example? Because some viewers maybe don't know who he was, but he was in a tremendous lap style blues guitar player who I was a fan of and I saw, uh, you know, live. And uh, I'm right. sure it's the, the Canadian connection, I'm guessing. Yeah, doing, yeah, absolutely. Doing my time in Montreal. Um, I had TrueCon, but then I had my own blues project. And it came to some folks' attention as I started showing up at the festivals. And um, uh, Warren Heights was, you know, also not far from Montreal. And I got a chance to go up and actually sing on his record because I was singing a lot of backgrounds. I was singing, I was singing backgrounds for Celine Dion when she first started because her management didn't really. He was really an Elvis kind of manager. Girls sing, guys play. And, and, and Celine kept saying, but she plays guitar, but she plays guitar. And he's like, nope. <laughs> so myself and Kim Richardson uh, were kind of known to be the, the, the girls that could sing in English and French, but we were, we were both black girls who could sing in both languages. And um, we got a call from uh, Morin Heights to come up and and do some some backup stuff on on Jeff's you know record and uh, then um, my name got passed around and I you know ended up doing some things with Colin James also who's another awesome blues guitar player and he ended up playing on Johnny Holiday's record and then we opened for Johnny Holiday 21 days at the Olympia in Paris. Uh, so, you know, all these blues festivals kind of happened and cross pollinated, you know, from my, and I did my own blues festival. I hosted one in Montreal where a uh, buddy guy was there for three or four days. And on the Saturday afternoon, he did an acoustic set with just him sitting there playing an acoustic guitar doing Ain't That Peculiar and, and, and just covers, not with a band, just it's so awesome, you know. Jesse Mayhemfield was still alive. She played the late John Campbell, amazing dobro, and he he was there. You know, that's when I first met Jimmy Vivino. He was playing with Jimmy Johnson, so you know, blues is you know my second home. You know, so yeah. Okay, yeah. Too many of them left us too soon. Uh, you know, Jeff Healy and John Campbell. I got to see also, fortunately, but. Um... Wow, some tremendous players. Um, and your own blues chops, how, how do you feel in that genre? I mean, it feels like home, but chops, chops is something that never stops. There's always somebody playing something that you want to play. <laughs> you know, um, 
Kamani, we were out and about uh, this last run, and we ended up in North Carolina, and we look up, and Eric Gales is sitting there. Oh, he's one of my favorites. He's sitting there watching me like this. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, my God. <laughs> but, of course, before the end of the night, he ended up coming up and sitting there because Nikki had a guitar because she's playing a little guitar, too. She gets up off the drum because we have Sput now. Sput Seawright from Ghost Note is also playing drums. And Xavier from, from Ghost Note is playing keys. So Kamani version 2.0, when, you know, Nigel can't make it when he's with his other band, we just kind of swap out. It's all a group of friends and we just, we're just having so much fun with it, you know. Wow, man, I'm, you're killing me that I missed that in North Carolina since that's where I'm at. I saw Eric Gales here uh, in June. We didn't know. We didn't, we didn't know he was coming. Um. Yeah, I saw Eric Gales. He was on a bill with Mike Zito and Anna Popovic. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool uh, uh, lineup. Um, how did uh, Kamani uh, come to existence? And can you share with viewers, you know, sort of like what that group's about? So if they see that mm-hmm. the, you guys are coming local, that they'll go check it out. It's a brainchild of crazy, crazy Nikki. You know, she's 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 got a million band bubbles rolling in her head. If I put this person together with that person, what it would be, yay. So, you know, we're in COVID and um, she had these gigs that were booked for the Nth Power. And then I think one of her, one of her bandmates got married and the, the venues were like, please don't cancel on us. You know, we're struggling to stay alive. You know, can you put something together and keep the date? So she started calling around and people were scared to go out and play. You know, people were scared to leave their homes. And and she's like, you know, a lot of these venues I've been playing at for the last 10, 15 years, and I don't want to see them close. And a lot of them are family owned, you know, small town bars and 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 music halls, you know, that have history. And I said, hey, you know, it turned out to be maybe a week's worth of thing. And I'm like, sure. I'll go with you. So she came up with the name. K was K-A is me, you know. M-A is Matt for the bass player, Matt Lapham, and uh, Nikki and I, and Nikki and Nigel. So it was Cat, Nikki, and Nigel. <laughs> you know what I mean? And Matt. So she just took the letters from my names and did that and did some research and found out that that is the name of a healing tree that only grows somewhere in Hawaii. Wow. And, you know, it heals the body, the leaves and the oils from it. And you can, you know, who knew? <laughs> so, you know, well, the music that we pick and the songs that we do are positive message, good vibration, you know, mainly covers, but we're going to start writing, but mainly covers to just, when we went out, we just wanted to heal people. We just, you know, you know, we're doing like, you know, mazes, happy feelings, you know what I mean? And, you know, some Marvin Gaye and a little bit of Gap Band and, you know, you know, some, some, some time and a little bit of this, a little bit of that to get people shaking and moving and, you know, smooth stuff. Tell me, do you still care about me? You know, we're, we're just pulling songs that we like that, that, that shaped us when we were, you know, starting out on a path and it's, you know, R&B funk based. It's, you know, it's not a big chop city, whatever, you know, it, it's all based in really solid songs, you know, of, you know, they keep saying R&B is dead and this is dead. And we want to make sure 
the funk stays alive. God bless George Clinton. But there's a whole lot of funk that came in that area, you know, that same era. So we're pulling from bands and we're, you know, we're doing all kinds of stuff. Ohio players, you know, we're just we're just pulling stuff and having fun. It's a, it's just a fun time. You know, people get up and they dance and we party and that's it. Wow, man, you're warming my heart and soul with, uh, you know, that repertoire. Because, yeah. uh, you know, it's when you do it and justice. We're all, we're all you, singing, too. So, we're you know, a lot of the singers are showing up going, ah. you know, but they come in, they sit in with it. We have a ball. But we harmonize well together. We do some earth, wind, and fire. We're doing a little something of everything, you know? Yeah. Well, I hope you come this way again soon. And um, you mentioned George Clinton, and he was on your credits. What was your experience related to George Clinton? Well, um, that was through Prince in the very beginning. You know, whenever George would come, it would be a big jam. We always end up on stage, blah, blah, blah. And then George would come into town, cat you here. His tour manager at the time, Jeff Fogarty, uh, the son of, uh, not John Fogarty, but the, the nephew of John Fogarty, would be, hey, George, why don't you come down, check out the gig? You want to come check out the gig? And, you know, I would come and I'd just be in the sidelines and he would always get me to come on and play. And so every time I try to leave, he'd break it down. Oh, put some funky cat. <laughs> and I end up being there for one song and I'm end up there for like 45 minutes. So, you know, um, and um, I got a chance to go in the studio through Felicia, who was a good friend of Ber Bernie Ruelles, and we did some backups on um, one of Bernie's records in New York, and it was just awesome. Bernie was such a genius, such a talent, you know what I mean? But yeah, it, you know, with George, it's always like a fun time, and you know, we, I went in the studio, and while he was cutting, he was like, what do you think about this here? And you know, just being there, just in the, just to be in the lab with that man, of what he thinks about it, how he thinks. And I listened to the Thomas Dolby record and I forgot how much influence he had on that record and how absolutely different, but funky it is. I mean, that Thomas Dolby record, there's some funky stuff on it. You know what I mean? It's, 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 a, it's a different kind. It's not like down in the dirt, but it's, you know, parts and pieces of it are just, oof. You know, but he's he's done so much and so many different projects, and he's another one of those guys that just lets his imagination take him, and he's got a vision, and there it is. You know. Yeah, and he's still doing it. You know, they're still out there. Absolutely. He's not going to retire, uh, even no. though he said he was going to. Says he's not. <laughs> <laughs> he was looking good on stage dancing the other day. He did an IG live. I'm like, come on, George. 80 years old, man. God bless yeah, him. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Funk don't um, know no age. What's that? I say funk don't know no age. Yeah, no doubt. Um, was there anyone else uh, that, you know, was just sort of a, a thrill for you to, to get a chance to, to play with that you haven't mentioned? I mean, there's so many people, you know, there's so many people and I've been so blessed and you know, when I sit back and I think, oh, and I was like, I can't rest on my laurels, but that was kind of cool. I got a chance while doing uh, the TV show Donnie and Marie to play with Robert Palmer, okay? So our band was Paul Peterson, St. Paul, on bass, Nick Vincent on drums, and Jerry, who was our band leader, was also Marie's band leader. So we were a small band, small but mighty, 
you know? So we're doing Addicted to Love. So as a joke, me and Paul, I'm like, okay, Paul, let's wear the leather jackets and I'll put on the skirt and we'll do the steps, right? That all the model girls did, you know, the, <laughs> you know, because we figured they never put the band on camera anyway. You know what I mean? And Dick Clark was the executive producer of that show. So during uh, American Music Award Week, anybody could show up. Snoop Dogg came on there, you know, Oasis came on there. All the kids, you know, all the Britneys and all of them came on there, you know. Anybody could show up. So we would have to play behind who knows when, you know, each day would be somebody different and stylistically crazy. So we uh, we played that song. And the year that song came out was a blessing and a curse for every female musician on the planet. Because those girls were models and they weren't playing anything. But they were dressed with the hair and the nails and blah, blah, blah. So you either get to the audition and go, Okay, you sound good, but can you wear the skirt? Can you do that? Can you do that? Like the girls on the, and we were like, you know, or, you know, they would hire you because, you know, they saw those girls and they would hire more girls. So it was either a blessing, like I said, or a curse. So, you know, we were were dressed and doing the steps and doing the whole thing. And so we're playing it and Robert's singing and he looks around and keeps on singing. looks around, <laughs> so we get there, we get to the, uh, you know, commercial break, and he comes over to me, and he says, not high, not to sound great, what kind of amp is that? <laughs> so then after, his manager comes up to me and says, Robert really likes the way you play, would you like to go on tour with <laughs> And I was already into the TV show, I said, well, tell him, I said, thank you. And I'm very flattered, but I'm, I'm kind of committed here. You know what I mean? But he didn't say it to me. I think he just he just kept turning around and we were. <laughs> just, so just we're trying to keep it together. It, so he didn't know what to think, but we did. It's, it's on YouTube. We did play that song. It was just the four of us. It was no tracks. We did what we could do with four people, you know, keys, bass, guitar, drum. That was it. Well, that's mandatory viewing. Got to go track that one down. <laughs> but keep a tongue-in-cheek perspective. <laughs> and it was daytime TV, so there you go. Yeah, all right. Um, so what other projects do you have that we should know about? Or, uh, you know? Well, right got- now, I'm a board member of a new organization called the National Black Musicians Coalition. We got together during COVID when music was deemed unessential to kind of check up on each other. You know, drummers had a Zoom, bass players had a Zoom, guitar players, and then we all started Zooming together, right? How you doing and what can we do to help, you know, you, you're all right, your rent paid, your lights are on, blah, blah, blah. We were just checking in and out, Jeff. And then George Floyd happened. And then a lot of companies that we endorse started making statements about how they support their endorsees and their African-American brothers and sisters. So over time, they started coming to our calls and we started talking about the things that were good, the things that we thought need changing, how we could affect change that would mean something rather than every day watching the footage of this man being killed over and over again and everybody feeling like we don't care enough for each other. And we put this organization together when we just did our first um, 
what we call a community summit, Musicians United for Change Community Summit, where uh, we had someone from health and wellness to talk to our members and, and the general public, it was a free event. We had someone come in for financial li literacy, how to take your money, how to save your money, how to build your money, even as artists and musicians from City National Bank, which is a bank that was started by musicians, as a matter of fact. Um, we, uh, we had uh, an educational portion where we uh, featured the Fernando Pullum Youth Orchestra, and he has a Fernando Pullum Community Center where he teaches kids because they took music and arts out of the high schools in LA. They, you know, hard pressed to find a music program. So he filled that gap. He, he has a, a school now in Lamert Park. And uh, in conjunction with Sweetwater, we gave three of those kids, you know, uh, an educational scholarship, small, but something to help them while they're in the, the, the three of the older members that are in college that are starting to be in college, because a lot of those kids have been there since they were 10 years old. And they are completely awesome. They just did something with uh, John Mayer at the Hollywood Bowl and they worked with Kamazi Washington, you know, uh, all, all the Marcellus's teach them by Zoom. It's a very, very awesome organization. So we're gonna be doing things around and um, I signed a contract with Zucaro in 2020, which, you know, got dive bombed in March, <laughs> but we're, you know, doing little bits. We're right now I'm going over tomorrow to do a trio myself, Doug Pettibone, who's an amazing guitar player, pedal steel player, plays everything, played with Lucinda Williams and everyone is just myself, Doug and Zucaro. And then when we start back next year, we'll have the whole big band. He's like, um, he's like, uh, he's stylistic. He, he sings ballads like Sting, but he does rock like Springsteen. And then he likes the R&B thing like Joe Cocker. So he's he has, takes all those styles and puts Italian lyrics on it. So it's a lot of fun to play. And uh, more Kamani. We're going to be doing projects and putting things together. And um, I also am part of a, a Sharon Jones type of band, but we're that type of thing, but we also add a little R&B to it. It's called Bella Brown and the Jealous Lovers. Um, that's out on Spotify. We just put something out, and you know, we, we you know we, we we do everything from from Shake and you know Twist and some James Brown, and you know the the newest record has some um, originals on it. Jimmy Vino played on it. Top Who plays percussion, you know, with the I'll, I'll think of the name of the band, but there's, you know, Dave DeLome is on it. Uh, Bobby Sparks is on it. It's, it's a community of, you know, session and, and, and tour players. Uh, we got the Tower Power Horns. We got the Regiment Horns. You know, it's a, it's a great meeting of the minds. Feel good. Before COVID, we were, we were playing at the Mint. You know, people just come and just dance. You know what I mean? Because it was a little old school, a little new school with a twist. And leading it is Carol Hatchett, who uh, was a harlot. She was part of uh, Bette Midler's, uh, you know, background singers. And she's a vocalist, choreographer, actress. She's she's a force. So um, those are projects I'm involved in right now. And I'm, I'm writing a little some. I guess I'll figure out what I want to call it by the time I figure it out. <laughs> oh, you got a lot of balls in the air, sounds like. Uh, got it. <laughs> Gotta do it. Um, 
what looking back on um, what we've come to at this point uh what would you say you're most proud of accomplishing in your music career not quitting not letting no stop me knowing that no is just a yes and waiting you know that's it and did you have I'm, I'm thinking that you had that early on from way back when that it didn't necessarily come from Prince you already had it well I had four brothers telling me every day that I sucked so <laughs> <laughs> just think of the Williams sisters when their dad paid their friends to just talk smack to them while they were practicing tennis I lived in a house that was pretty much that ah, you never play guitar you suck <laughs> it was me my four brothers and then my two sisters I'm the eldest of seven so I didn't get much encouragement, so I'm used to hearing no. <laughs> so, you know, if I can continue to to do something and uplift somebody or, you know, make somebody's load lighter with, you know, the gifts I've been given, then I did my job. Well, it's to your great credit that you've persevered through everything and all those accomplishments. Congratulations. And thank you for bringing so much great music to all of our ears and hearts. Uh, and thank you for having me. I appreciate you letting me tell my little story. Thank you for sharing. And is there any, uh, you know, website or social media or anything like that you'd like to mention uh, before? Catdyson.com, uh, but it's it's under construction. We're we're finally taking all the oldness out of it and putting some newness into it. So it's coming. It's it's being redone right now. But I'm also on uh, Instagram. You can laugh. My nephew picked out this name. I'm at Kitty Cat Deezy, and that's K's Kitty Cat Deezy, D E E Z Y, on IG. Yeah, my nephew did that. And I'm I'm on Facebook. I'm you know I'm not hiding out. I'm I'm not behind alias. I'm you know I'm in the background. I'm just, you know I'm a support musician. So you know there's no aliases. It's just me. It's just me. All right. Well, Cat, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And take good care. Travel safe. And uh, hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on keep vibing on to the rhythm of the one.